Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, Merry Christmas. It's good to be here, isn't it? Just to be together as a family and to enjoy this night together. And uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And this is your very first time. A special uh, welcome to you as we go in this Christmas season. Um, during this time of teaching, uh, inside your program is a message note sheet. encourage you to uh, take that out and so you can follow along. And if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just uh, excited to be here. We're excited to be at the start of, of a fresh uh, season, a Christmas season, a season that we reflect on you and, and why you came and who you are and what does it mean to follow you and just from a whole different angle, the angle of your birth. And so we pray that um, as, as, we, uh, as we dive into your word, God, we just pray you'd come and in clarity, in power. I pray you'd, you'd be with me, my voice, just strengthen uh, kind of the words that I share I pray that as a church, we would gather now around your word and you give us tremendous insight into uh, the true meaning of this season. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, today we are uh, continuing this, or starting this brand new series uh, called Jesus, the uh, prequel, not sequel. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, the, what this, the, the name for this series, it really flows out of uh, a couple things. Uh, uh, for the first, uh, the, as we enter into Christmas, you know, often we, we talk about Christmas, we teach on Christmas, we focus on some of the, 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 the event of the birth of Christ and the, the events right surrounding afterwards, the shepherds, the manger, the, the wise men, and so on. But, but often we skip over the stories that happen before that, the events that happen before that in the Gospels that lead up to that. The, the, the Gospel writers who are telling the story of Jesus are saying, no, no, that's not how the story starts. This is how the story starts. And so these are the prequel to that. And so so we're going to be looking for the next three weeks at three of those uh, key stories that kind of light, lead into the story of, of Jesus' birth to prepare us for Christmas. Uh, secondly, though, uh, in January, we're going to be doing a, a whole new series uh, for the new year that's going to be on the life of Christ. We're going to be looking at uh, the life of Christ as told by one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus, a man named uh, Mark, who is a very close associate of the Apostle Peter. Most scholars believe it was the, the earliest, uh, uh, earliest, doc, earliest life of Christ uh, document we have in our New Testament. And, and when, when Mark tells the story of Jesus, he, he just kind of skips over the whole birth and doesn't even bring in the, any of the stories about that. He just jumps into the ministry of Jesus when he's about 30 years old. And so this, this, this series is going to be a prequel to that series as well. So there's kind of a double sense it's a prequel. Uh, but today, uh, we're, we're going to start off with, with kind of the very first, uh, very first story, the very first page about in our, in our New Testaments about the coming of Christ, uh, and it's in Matthew chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles or you have, if, you, if you're reading on your notepads or your phone or whatever, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And as you do that, uh, let, me, let me set this up a little bit. Um, uh, Matthew... Uh, the, the author is, is a close uh, a follower, friend of Jesus. Uh, he was one of his inner circle. Uh, uh, it wasn't always that way. Uh, he, you know, he, he became one of the 12 uh, disciples, one of the apostles, uh, but, but it wasn't always that way. Ma Matthew started off his life as a man really far from God. Uh, he, he was a man who had rejected the way he was raised uh, uh, as, as a God follower he had, had chosen to, to kick the traces and to pursue a life of, of money, really, over his family, over his country, and, and mostly over his God. And so when he meets Jesus, he's a man far from God, but, but as he meets Jesus, his whole life changes. And so now we're 35 years later after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and, and he's writing this account of the life of Jesus. And honestly, this account of Matthew is probably the most influential document of the life of Christ in the history of the world. It's just it's, it's that, that powerful um, but it's really interesting how he starts the story because he starts the story differently than any of us would probably start the story. He starts the story with, with telling us about Jesus' family tree, his, his genealogy. And, and I don't know uh, if you would admit to it, but chances are if you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, you probably skipped this opening <laughs> section because it's this long list of names of, of dead people that you don't really know and are impossible to pronounce, right? So you just kind of jump ahead. Let's just skip the first 17 verses. Let's go to verse 18 because now we get to the story. And I'm not sure what this was. It's like the preface to the book. This is like, like the credits before the movie. I, I don't know what this is, but uh, this is just not very interesting. And so what I want you to catch, though, is that Matthew, who, who is writing the story of Jesus, th this is the prequel, right? The, the, this is how he chooses to start the story of Jesus. And so 
obviously in his mind, uh, this is a really important thing. Like, like he's, he, the rest of the gospel writers don't start their stories this way. Uh, uh, Luke includes a genealogy of Jesus, but not until like chapter three. Uh, and so, but Matthew starts his story uh, with the family tree. And so obviously it's important. And, and today as we're gonna see, it's extremely important because it helps us to understand in a powerful way really who Jesus is and why he came and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're gonna get into that. But there on your note sheet, uh, there's a section that's called The Story Starts, The Genealogy of Jesus. And, and what I want to do is kind of walk us through this, uh, point out a few things, and then come back and talk about uh, how this prequel uh, sets us up to understand who Jesus is and how he works uh, in our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, you're there in Matthew uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, and it starts off a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, uh, the son of who? David and the son of, okay, so, so he starts off his story. This is the way he starts his story. Kind of imagine this like Star Wars, you know, where the words are coming across the screen. And so, you know, this is how he starts his story. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, you've got this, you know, genealogy uh, of Jesus that is being spread out for us. And so the question is, uh, why? And so uh, as we, we get started, just two or three things I want to point out about this genealogy that would, uh, on, on all, uh, for, for all points, you know, for all practical purposes, you're probably saying, why did I come to church on this night? Uh, <laughs> b- before I get in and start boring you, uh, and this is too late, um, but uh, <laughs> before we jump into that, uh, I want to point out two or three things about this genealogy. First of all, I want you to catch the word genealogy. See that on your... Uh, in, in the Greek, uh, that, that's a word uh, called uh, geneseos, and it's where we get our word genesis from. And so if you, if you had a, uh, the Greek Old Testament in front of you, uh, that if you open the first book of the Bible, uh, guess what it's called? It, it, it's, it's this word, right? And so, so remember, so, so Matthew is writing this story of Jesus for fellow Jews. And if you're a, a Jew raised at the time of Jesus, and you see this word Genesis, it triggers, it's like a code word that triggers all kinds of things in your mind. And, and it triggers, first of all, the, the, the first book of the Bible, the story of beginnings, the story of the creation of the universe, the story of the rebellion, the great rebellion against our true king, the creator, uh, the story of the call of Abraham, uh, the, 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 the start of the nation of Israel through which uh, the great king would one day come to restore all of creation. And so, and so if you're a Jew and you want to write a story that signals right from the beginning, this is a very important story. Uh, this is not a bad way to start. That they say he's, he's signaling that something special, this is the, a genesis of something special is, is happening here. Second thing uh, that, that I would point out, is that the way Matthew structures this genealogy is very interesting. He, he is going to take the whole story, the history of the nation of Israel, and he's going to break it down into three major eras of 14 generations each. And, and so really what he's doing is he's going to use the genealogy to tell us the story of Israel. Okay, so we're going to go in three, this genealogy is going to have three major sections, 14 sections each. The first kind of chapter one of the story goes from the call of Abraham, the start of the nation, to the rise of the kingdom to its pinnacle of power under King David. Okay, that's like the first part. The second era goes from the, the, the kingdom of David all the way to the destruction of the whole nation of Israel uh, in 586 BC where they were taken into exile in Babylon, the lowest point in Jewish history. The third, the third chapter of this genealogy is going to take us from the time that Israel returns to the promised land. But remember, most of them don't return, only about 50,000. And it's going to take us up to the time of the New Testament, you know, about a 500-year period where they're still waiting for their great Messiah to come. Okay, and so, so what, what, what uh, Matthew is doing, he's telling us the story of Israel and, and here's the punchline, it all leads up to the coming of the Messiah, all right? So that's the second thing I want you to catch. It's interesting, 
he, he's going to separate this genealogy into 14, uh, 14, uh, three sections of 14 generations. Now, if you were to go back and compare this with other parts of the Bible, what you would notice is he's actually left out certain generations to make that 14 work. And so, uh, not, not that he's, what he's saying is just skip certain generations, you know, so you saw the, the line, the bloodline, or the, the legal line going, but he just left certain ones out to me. Three, and, and so scholars are, are kind of, you know, debate why he's done this, but it would appear, you know, a couple, of the, a couple of the best theories of this is that the number 14 is twice the number what? Seven. Seven's the number of what? Perfection or completion. And so he's telling the story of the completion of the story of the nation of Israel, where it's, whole thing, it's all leading to Messiah. And so the, where he's telling a story of, of their history leading to its ultimate kind of completion times two sort of, sort of thing. Another interesting thing is that in Hebrew, uh, every letter has a numerical value. And so they would often, uh, uh, names would often have numerical values. And so the name David, uh, the letters in the word uh, David in Hebrew add up to uh, the number uh, 14. And so uh, many scholars say that's, that's kind of what's going on. But, but anyway, he's going to tell this story, uh, the story of the nation of Israel leading up to Messiah through this genealogy. The third thing I want to say about this genealogy is that for you and I, for most of us, reading this genealogy, at least without any background, is incredibly boring, right? Because like I said, this is a lot of names we don't recognize of people who lived a long time ago who are now dead uh, that just have no significance. But here's what I want you to catch. If you are a Jew at the time of the New Testament, these are the bedtime stories you've been raised on. And these names, not, not every name, but many of these names, they're going to conjure up word pictures, images, stories of great victories, of dreadful villain, villains, of huge, uh, kind of mighty heroes, of God's intervention. I mean, like for us, it would be like us. Like imagine that I, we had a genealogy, and then as we're going through it, you're, you're picking out names like Christopher Columbus, uh, uh, George Washington, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, uh, Richard Nixon, uh, Bill Clinton. Now, chances are, if you're reading a genealogy like that, they're not just names to you. With every name, a story, a mental picture, an image is coming, right? The, the, uh, the crossing of the Delaware, the discovery of the new land, the freeing of the slaves, civil rights uh, marches, uh, assassination in Dallas, uh, Watergate scandal, Monica Lewinsky, that uh, these, <laughs> that's what comes to my mind. Uh, that, uh, that, so, uh, that as, for, for us, these names are not just, you know, for us, we look back and it's like we're, we're reading this name, Zerubbabel, you know, uh, we're reading this, this, this name, Tamar, and it's just, it's like, you know, whatever, let's move on. But for them, for them, this is an interesting story that's, that's being told. Are, are you with me in this? You follow this? Okay, so, so the question is, uh, uh, why is this the prequel? Why would you ever start a story with a genealogy? What is the point? Where are we going? And what I want to do now is I want to walk you through this genealogy, uh, make a couple comments uh, on it. But as we go through, I want you to try the best you can to go back and to imagine you're a first century Jew. You are not a Jesus follower. You believe that Jesus was an illegitimate child born out of wedlock uh, to a, a, a Jewish peasant. That's what you believe. And Matthew has come to you and he says, no, no, no. I want to tell you the story of the great king of Israel prophesied by, for a thousand years of the prophets that he has come and his name is Jesus. And my first line of evidence for you is I need to show you that he fulfills all, all the legal requirements to be the Messiah, that he needs to come through the line of David and be a true son of, of Abraham. Okay, so, so with that in mind, uh, this is how Matthew is starting off his his court case to convince you that this Jesus of Nazareth is actually the king of Israel. All right, so here we go. So uh, chapter one, verse one, a record of the, the genealogy, the genesis of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So here we go with the first set of 14 generations. So 
Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac's the father of Jacob. Now, Jacob's name was later changed to what? To Israel, right? So he has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the, 12, the nation of Israel. And so the father of Jacob or Israel, Jacob's the father of Judah. So one of, one of Jacob's 12 sons was Judah. He was the fourth son. And his brothers, uh, the other 11 of the 12 tribes. So then Judah, verse 3, was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was whom? Tamar. Tamar. Now I want you to underline, this is very important. In ancient genealogies, uh, very rarely would women be involved in, in the genealogy. If they were included, they were usually a very famous and honorable, respected woman. Uh, Tamar, that's not her. Uh, so we will come back to her later, uh, but we, we will come back to her story uh, later on. But if you've not heard it, it's a zinger. Okay, uh, so, so Perez uh, is the father of Hezron. Hezron is the father of Ram, who built the trucks. Uh, Ram... <laughs> is the father of Abinadab. Abinadab is the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, second woman. Okay, so we're gonna, have, we're gonna hit four women uh, before we get to Mary. Uh, Rahab's number two. Uh, Rahab was the, the prostitute. She had the red light district thing going uh, in Jericho. And, and so when the nation of Israel first crossed you know, to, to Jericho, they sent some spies in, she hid them, and, and she eventually became part of the nation of Israel. But she, she starts off as this prostitute. And so, so she's mentioned, hey, hey, part of the line of the Messiah. Hey, we're looking good, aren't we? All right, so, um, so then Boaz is the father of Obed, uh, bad name, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, third woman. Uh, a lot of you heard of Ruth, famous story, love story, uh, Ruth, but you know, we'll come back to her later on. Uh, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of King David. Okay, so we move from Abraham, call of, the call of the start of the nation, to the pinnacle of power to David, first 14 generations. Next, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, uh, they don't even mention her name, um, but uh, her name, you'll, you'll remember, was Bathsheba. Um, because he saw her in the bath and she was very pretty. But uh, anyway, uh, that's what my dad used to say, a stupid joke. Uh, anyway, um, anyway, so they don't even mention her, but remember, uh, David has the affair with Bathsheba. She's married to one of his top warriors of his kind of mighty men, a guy named Uriah. Uh, and, then, and then when she gets pregnant, she's covered up by having him killed off in battle. Okay, so, so she is the fourth woman mentioned, but they don't mention her name. And verse 7, so Solomon, um, you know, she of whom the name will not be mentioned, that kind of thing. 7, uh, Solomon becomes the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Now, these are all the kings of Israel. So once we get to David, all these names are now Davidic kings. If you were to go back and read the book of Kings, all these names would be there. Uh, so uh, Solomon's the father, verse 7, of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram. Jehoram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, by the way, this will kill you, it's a medication. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So 586 B.C. We've moved from David, about 1,000 B.C. to 586. We've gone through a long list of uh, kings, uh, some good, some mostly bad. This was an era when the nation rebelled against God for so long that he said, if you don't your act together, I'm going to destroy your nation, take you away, exile to a foreign country. It's the low point of Jewish history, all right? So we've moved from the pinnacle to the low point. Now, the nation is going to come back and so after the exile to Babylon, we move into kind of, uh, chapter 3 of this uh, story. At the, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Now, you may remember that name because this fall, we did a series called The Assignment. We talked about the rebuilding of the temple. There was a governor at the time of Haggai. His name was Zerubbabel. That's this guy, Zerubbabel. And so Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathon, Mathon the father of Jacob. And now Matthew slows down, beginning of his very precise language, and he says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, uh, 
of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Okay, so he's going to slow down because he, he wants to be clear here that Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Uh, Jesus was the son of Mary, who was married to Joseph. And, and of course, he's going to tell that story later on. But he's going to slow it down here so we, we don't miss that. And so then catch this. So he says, so, so thus there were 14 generations in all, kind of a perfect number, ultimate perfection, from Abraham to David, from the start of the nation to, to the pinnacle, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon to the low point, and then 14 from the exile to, catch this, what to say next? The Christ, right? So remember, Christ is not his last name, it's a title. The Christ means Messiah. It's, it's the, the Greek form of the word, uh, the Hebrew word is Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king that for a thousand years the prophets had been prophesying that one day a great king would arise from the line of David who would restore Israel and, and then turn all of creation uh, back to God and there would be a new heavens and a new earth and, and all wrongs would be turned to right. And so that person was called the Christ. And so here's what I want you to catch. The, what what, what, what uh, Matthew is doing is he's setting up the Christmas story to understand that all that's gone before uh, this, this great huge prequel is leading up to the coming of this great king. All right, so, so that's what he's doing. Now, so, so the question is, it's come from the line of David. Now, the question is, uh, why does Matthew start his story this way? I think there's a lot of reasons, but as we end this Christmas season, there's a couple things I want to highlight uh, for us today. So number one, there in your note sheet, you've got a, a section that's called uh, One Family Tree, Two Lessons from a Genealogy. So here we go. Number one, uh, first thing, and we're going to come back to this over and over in this series. I, I think this is what we often miss, even as Christ followers. We miss the, what Christmas is really about. We miss the story of Christmas. We miss uh, the part of what, what, what it plays in our life. Uh, so I'll be coming back every, thir- every, every week of this series. We're going to be coming back and touching base with trying to drill it in uh, so we can take this with us. And it goes like this, that the story of Christmas is the story of the coming of the king. That the story of Christmas is really about the, st- the story of the coming of this great king that was prophesied for a thousand years, uh, starting with David on throughout the Old Testament. It, it's about the coming of a king. It's about the coming of the kingdom. It's about the restoration of all of creation that, and taking the first step of that king's kingdom. That's what's happening with Christmas. Now, this is the part that I think we often miss because like I, like, uh, I, I said before, and Patrick said it earlier, that, that uh, even uh, if we are not a Christian, uh, even if we're not raised in a Christian home, chances are we know some of the pieces of the Christmas story. Like we, we know, we, we've, we've seen a manger scene somewhere, right? We, we've gone by uh, before it got outlawed uh, and whatever. Uh, but uh, that, uh, uh, that we've seen a manger scene, that we, we've heard the, some stories. It's, this story has something to do with a, a, a young woman, uh, an unexpected pregnancy, a reluctant fiance, uh, a, a, a long trip to a little town, uh, the birth of a baby in a manger, shepherds in the field. Uh, uh, what else we got? Go ahead. Uh, magi coming from the east, uh, angels in the sky. That, that somewhere we've we've heard part of the story, right? And so even as Christians, we're like, let's keep Christ in Christmas, right? And what we mean by that is let's keep telling that story. Let's keep telling that story. But the reality, even as Christ, we don't understand the story. We we understand the pieces of the story. We could repeat the story. We we know what the story says. We don't know what it means. We know what the story says, what, what happened. We don't know what it means. And, and so in this series, what, one of the things, one of the, one of the passions I have is that as a church, we would understand that the story of Christmas is not the start of the story of Jesus. It's the last chapter in the story. It's not the first chapter. You see, that, that God has been telling a story that we're all part of, and it started a long time ago. And Jesus came, he's like, often we look at it like this. Like, if I were to ask you, where does the story of Jesus start? Most would say it would start in the Gospels, right? It starts with the birth of Jesus. But here's what I want you to catch. The story of Jesus is not the first chapter. Uh, the birth of Jesus is not the first chapter 
it's closer to the last chapter. And I want, you to, I want you to catch this. I want you to take your Bibles. I want to give you a visual on this. I want you to take your Bible. Okay? Now, if, you, if you're reading on your uh, iPad or your phone, open up to your table of contents. That, you know, that, that picture, that page where you pick what book. I want you to get a visual. But if you've got your Bible in your hand, I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Hopefully you're already there. You, you're just there. So by Matthew chapter 1. You got it? You got it now? Okay, now I want you to hold your Bible out in front of you. And I, and I think this will be helpful. This is going to stick with you. I want you to look at how much your Bible comes before Matthew 1. And I want you to look how much your Bible comes after Matthew 1. Are you with me? Now, I looked at my Bible. This is a little Bible for preaching. Um, so I can see a lot on one page. I, I, can, see, like, I can see the whole creation in one page. Um, uh, in my Bible, there are over 800 pages that come before Jesus is born. There are 250 after. Now, can I tell you something? As Christians, here's how we live most of our life. We effectively rip out the first 800 pages. And go, yeah, I don't really get all that stuff. It's kind of, it's good for Sunday school class because it's awesome stories, Right? And so we know there's some cool stories. We know, yeah, call of Abraham. Yeah, I, I remember that one. And, you know, yeah, Isaac being almost sacrificed. That was cool. Um, but, he, but he escaped. Uh, and, so, and, then, and then, okay, going down, to Israel, you know, going down to Egypt, becoming slaves, building the bricks. I remember that story. And, and all the other story. And then, then Moses comes, all the plagues. I remember that story. And I remember Mount Sinai and the law is given. Boy, and we're glad we're not under the law anymore, so that doesn't apply to us. And so, uh, and so then we, you know, and then there's the, right, the judges, and then there's the kings and good kings and bad kings, and Elijah and fire from heaven that one time. That was a cool story. And then going to Babylon, and that was just a bummer. We got, you know, exile, and they come back and build a temple, and there's just a lot of stuff, you know. There's a lot of stuff. But for most of us as Christians, effectively, the way we live our life is we rip out the first 800, and we say, you know, really, that's kind of like the preview of coming in. There's something going on there. It's like, it's like going to a concert. It's the first band that plays, you know. It's, not, it's like, it's not why we came. It's not like we came, you know. Where'd they get these headbangers? Um, so, you know, and so when we go to explain the story of Jesus, when we go to explain what does it mean to be a Christ follower, when we try to understand what does it mean to follow Jesus in our lives, we effectively rip out the first 800 pages of the story. And we start the story as if it starts with Jesus. And, and I'm going to use this analogy throughout this series. I, I'm going to say, like, next week I'll dig into this. I'll just give you a preview today. It's, that's like watching the, the show 24 with Jack Bauer and showing up at season, the last season. Right? It, it's like, that's like watching the series Lost and trying to make sense of it only watching the last season. It's, it's like this story that's being told is this epic story of God's restoration of all of creation, and Christmas is not the first page of the story. It's closer to the last page of the story, you see? And it's all the story, of the, and that's what Matthew is telling us. That's what he's trying to help us understand. He says, let's, let me tell you the story of Jesus. Let's tell, let me let's explain. Let's, let's go back. Let's start with Abraham, the father of our race, and let's remember all this, okay, the start, of the, the, the start of the nation, the rise of the kingdom, going into exile, coming back to the land, but still being under the foreign oppression for, for 500 years, uh, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. That is the intro. The, see, see the, the story of Jesus the, is, is like this. It's like a novel in which the story of Jesus is like the last few chapters. And so the first, the whole novel has been uh, hints and plots and subplots all leading us up to the coming of the Christ. You see? So, so as followers of Jesus, catch this, we are, what kind of followers? We're Christ followers. What's Christ mean? It means Messiah. We are king followers. We are Messiah followers. And if you throw out the whole history book of the Messiah, what's that leave you with? You see, it leaves you with a shrunken Messiah. It leaves you with the Messiah. We don't really understand. We don't really, we, we, we just miss so much of him. He becomes an emaciated 
uh, Messiah. We just don't understand the story. And, and so in this series, what we're going to be coming back to again and again is that the story of Christmas is the story of the great king. It's the start of the kingdom of God that was promised by the prophets for a thousand years. A time when one would come from the line of David who would restore all of creation to what it was intended to be, including your life and my life. And that leads to number two. Number two. goes like this, that, that this king, uh, and this was so surprising when he came, like to Israel, it was just so surprising because they just didn't pick up on this in the, in the 800 pages that had come before. It was there, they just missed it. But this king is coming for everyone. This king, this Messiah, uh, Matthew wants us to get that, that he's very different than what Israel thought he was going to be. Like if we could rewind the clock, if we could go back to the first century, right? Let's go back to the year 5 BC. So it's a year before Jesus was born. And you were to read the literature of that day. If you were to be a, a man on the street, listen to conversations. What you would find is that Israel, by and large, expected a Messiah to come. But they had very different opinions about what that Messiah would be like. Some, some people thought that the Messiah would be uh, like a human being, uh, just, just like David was a human being, but he would be empowered by God to do great things. M many people thought that. Uh, some people thought that he would be some sort of supernatural being, like the son of man person in the book of Daniel, kind of coming on the clouds of heaven, but not really understanding what, how that would look like. But some, somehow this person swooped in from, from heaven. Uh, others thought that, there, others thought that the, the Messiah, when he came, there would actually be two Messiahs. That there would be one who was like a high priest Messiah and one who was a king Messiah. And, and so if you go back to the world of the first century, there wasn't consensus at all in Israel about what this Messiah would be like. But there was one thing, that a couple of things, that most of the Jewish people who believed in the Messiah, not everyone did, most of the people who believed in the Messiah, there's a couple of things they tended to agree with. Number one is that the Messiah would come primarily for Israel. That, that, that when he came, it, it was about, it was very nationalistic. It was, about, it was about restoring Israel to a place of peace and power and prosperity. And they would be the, the top dog nation of the world. They'd be the superpower of the world. And it was about Israel. The second thing they tended to uh, agree on is that when the Messiah came, he was coming for righteous people. Okay? That, that if you were not righteous, you were going to get destroyed. And so, you need, and so you even had, like, like down at the Dead Sea, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The, the, there was a group called the Essenes, who are one of the three major religious parties in Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. The, the whole reason they moved down to uh, the Dead Sea area and, and established this, this new community was because they wanted to get as far away from Jerusalem as possible. Because they felt like when the Messiah came back, he was going to destroy the priesthood because it was so corrupt. And they wanted to get a far, they wanted to live a pure life because they wanted to be the Messiah come, he's gonna wipe out the bad people and, and he's going to reward the good people. Okay? And so th these were the things that they tended to believe. That the, the, the vast majority of Messiah believers that they believed in those things. They had a lot of differences on other things, but they believed on those parts, right? And, and so right at the beginning of the story, Matthew, through this genealogy, is gonna begin to, to lay some hints and some uh, foreshadowings that this Messiah is not your grandfather's Messiah. That this Messiah, that I'm about to tell you a story, he's gonna be a little different because he's coming not just for Israel, he's coming for everyone. And he's not just coming for men, he's coming for women. And he's not just coming for, for the righteous, he's coming for anyone who'll surrender to his kingship. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. If you'll surrender to his kingship in your life, you can be part of his kingdom and start over. And one of the ways that, that Matthew does this is through the stories of the women that he includes in this. Now remember, uh, 
in this genealogy, I told you that in ancient times, you don't include women in genealogies. And if you do, it's going to be Sarah, the wife of Abraham. It's going to be some very high-profile, high-respected women. But, but, but Matthew doesn't do that. In fact, he chooses four women leading up to, to Mary, four women that are all Gentiles, every one of them. Every one of them is an outsider, right? And three out of the four are sexually immoral. And the fourth one is suspected of it, right? And so, so let's look at this. And, and Matthew's sending a message here. He's sending a message. And so, so, so for verse three, uh, first lady uh, is named as Tamar. Now just for sake of time, I'm not doing great detail, but, but Tamar is a Gentile. She, she's not, she, she comes along early along, and so she's not, she's not, she's married to Judah, who's one of the 12 sons of Israel. So she's an outsider, she's a Gentile. And, and so what she does, I won't go into the whole story, but Tamar uh, uh, kind of fools, uh, fools her, uh, her, her father-in-law and deceives him into having sex with her by posing as a prostitute. And, and that's how these kids are born. Okay? Um, not exactly uh, the story you're going to tell in first grade Sunday school. <laughs> so kids, let's just gather around and I'm going to tell you about Tamar. Yeah. This is a cool little story. You know, she was one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. And it's Christmas time, kids. And, and so um, does anyone like to act this out? Who would like to be the prostitute? Okay, yeah. Good, yeah, we're going to take this little dress on, kind of low cut, you know. Um, and, and so, okay, can you just kind of walk like did? You know, and so, uh, okay, who's going to be Judah? You're coming along, you know, and you're going to leave the staff after you have sex. Okay, who's going to? It's like, this is a really raunchy story, right? And catch this, and Tamar is in the line of the Messiah. Whoa. Whoa. So Jesus is like, you know, who's your uh, bloodline? Well, it goes back to, da, 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 you know, Tamar. You know, she, okay. okay, let's look at the next woman. <laughs> Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother's name was Rahab. Oh, we got to be getting better. No, oh, no, she was a, she was a real on prostitute. She wasn't just pretending to be a prostitute. She, she, this, was her, this was her business, right? Uh, so when the, when the two spies headed into Jericho doing kind of surveillance work, uh, in preparation for the nation to, to conquer Jericho. Uh, they're spotted. Hey, those guys are from Israel, I think. And they're running through the streets. You know, it's like a scene from 24. And, and so they, they're like, hey, let's duck into the, 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 the prostitute's house, you know? All kinds of guys are going in there. And so they dive in there, and she, she hides them. And so, hey, kids, let's tell the story of Rahab. <laughs> it's Christmas time. She's like the great great grandmother, you know, of David. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Uh, you get down to verse uh, six. Doesn't get any better. Uh, David's the father of Solomon, whose mother was been Uriah's wife. Okay, kids. Okay, who wants to stand on the roof and get naked? You always could have one kid. I will. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I mean, it's like one of the most sordid tales in all the Bible. Can, can you imagine today what we would do, like if, if, if the president uh, did this, like if the president of our, our country, uh, if he, he sees a woman, right, that's, that's naked, he brings her in, she, she's the wife of one of his generals, uh, has sex, has a baby, so sends the, the general off to Afghanistan, uh, to check out a very dangerous area, and he gets knocked off, uh, gets killed there, and then, then, then the president uh, marries this. I mean, it's just like, are you serious? And then they have a baby, right? And the baby becomes the next king. It's like, yeah, that's, that's part of the Messiah's story. That's part of the Messiah's story, yeah. In fact, David had all kinds of kids, um, but God chose that one uh, that came from, from that affair to be the king, right? So, so then you move on, next story, and uh, I skipped over Ruth. Uh, I think it was just on a roll, but uh, <laughs> you go back to verse five, Boaz, the mother of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, this is a really sweet story, right? All other three women have been Gentiles and immoral. Uh, she was a Gentile, but she was not immoral, and she was, she was an amazing woman, and 
And she, she, but she came from the land of Moab. And so she was a Moabitess. And, uh, and so her mother-in-law is Naomi. And they, you know, through a bunch of tragedy, she, she travels with Naomi. Very loyal, travels back to Israel. Uh, meets this guy Boaz, gets married. Well, it's a great love story. But, but here's the thing. Uh, not only is Moab in Gentile territory, not only is it Gentile, but in the law of Moses, it said that because of some past crimes of the nation of Moab, some heinous crimes uh, against uh, the, the, of Moab against the nation of Israel, in the law, it was a law that no one for 10 generations from Moab can enter into the temple for worship. And yet here she is. Well, in, in, in the, in the storyline, in, in the genealogy of the Messiah. Okay? Now you say, so, so, so what is Matthew doing? You don't even normally include women. You don't need to include these women. They're, they're not, that, that's not part of genealogies. He's doing it intentionally, right? And what's he doing? He's sending us a message that this Messiah is coming for everyone. He's not just coming for Jews. He's coming for Gentiles. He's not just coming for the righteous. He's coming for the unrighteous. And think who Matthew is. Matthew, who's writing this story, he is the tax collector. He is the man far from God. He's the man whose life was changed uh, by Jesus, right? the, The king of Israel came, but he didn't destroy Matthew. He rescued Matthew. And as you go through Matthew's gospel, as we go through the gospel of Mark, we're going to see this over and over again, that Jesus doesn't care where you've come from or what you've done. He he could care less. That that this king has come to rescue you and your past is irrelevant. And can I tell you something? that's that's, That's a message that we need to hear, not only for those of us who've come to, you know, if you haven't come to Christ, like if you're here today and, and someone's invited you to church and you're hearing about this King Jesus and, and, and you feel like, yeah, I, I could never be worthy. I could never be a follower of Jesus because I've got all these things in my past that I, I could never measure up. I, I'm telling you, the story that Matthew's telling you is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your name is Tamar. It doesn't matter if you're a Rahab. It doesn't matter if you're a Bathsheba. It doesn't matter if you're a Matthew. It doesn't matter. Right? And so there's, there's nothing stopping you from coming into the kingdom and experiencing the power of God's kingdom through Christ. There's nothing stopping you because he doesn't care where you came from. But he only cares where you're going. Amen? Amen? Okay, but let me tell you this. For those of us who are Christ followers, there are a lot of you here, and I know you, but I'm not going to look at you. There are, so, there, there's a lot of you here that you are struggling in your life because though you're a Christian, you feel like you're a second-class Christian. Because there's something that you have done or something that was done to you. You were molested. You were raped. You, you, uh, there, there's, there's something in your past that you've done, you're deeply ashamed of. And though you've come to Jesus you, you, and you believe in Christ and you believe he is Christ, you're not sure that you're really okay. You're, you're never really going to be fully okay because you've got stuff in your background. And so you're here and you join a life group but, but deep inside, you struggle. Deep inside, you feel unworthy. Deep inside, you just wish you could be like a normal person, like these other Christians here at Rocky Peak, or like, like the other people in your life group. Like there's something that you just, you feel like you'll never be okay. You'll always be damaged goods. And what I want you to catch is that Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for everyone. And he came for people who are screwed up and messed up. People like Tamar, who is propositioning her father-in-law to pay him back for what he did to her. People like Rahab, who made a living sleeping with men. Like Bathsheba, who had an affair with the king of Israel and went along with a cover-up of the death of her husband. People like Matthew, who'd sold his soul for money. Like, that's who he's come for. And men and women, we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up, and we have to receive the forgiveness of Christ in our life. Can I tell you something? There is one person and one person alone who wants you to live in the past, and that is Satan. 
and he wants to rob you of your birthright. And your birthright as a follower of Jesus is absolute, total remission of all sins. Forgiveness, clean slate. The kingdom has come. The king has come to rescue you. And he's come to rescue you from your fear. And he's come to rescue you from your depression. And he's come to rescue you from your shame. And he's come to rescue you from your past. And that is the story of Christmas. You see? And the one thing is, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, there's only one way into this kingdom. And that's by surrendering to our true king. And this is the gift of Christmas. The gift of Christmas is the gift of a new life. But the cost of Christmas is the cost of surrender. Because there's no way we enter into that kingdom without recognizing that that baby in a manger, he may look safe, but he isn't. He is the king of all creation. And he's come to restore all wrongs to right. He doesn't care where you've come from or what you've done. But there is no way in his kingdom except surrendering to him as our true king. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful to be here on this Christmas season and to be reflecting on these great and epic truths of, of, of the king who came. And God, we pray as we week by week study these stories, we pray you'd set us free. I, I pray as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I pray for my brothers and sisters here right now who are truly Christ followers. They've given their life to you. They love you. They want to be like you. They're trying to follow you. They're trying to grow. And yet deep in their heart, there is a, there is a, a shame. There is a deep regret. There is a pain that will never leave them. There was a lack of peace. There's an accusation that they're not worthy. They're not good enough. That they're, that they're a failure. And that accusation is there from the evil one. And I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. I just pray your Holy Spirit will put your arms around them right now and you will just begin to speak, not just today, but in the coming days and week in this Christmas season of your deep and passionate love for them and how you love them so much that you came to rescue them and to die for them so that they could be totally forgiven and clean and a new life. And I, I pray, God, that there may be some here that we're coming and we're just checking out Jesus. This whole thing is new to us and yet we so deeply want to know the true God. We so deeply want to have a new life. We so deeply want to be changed. And I just pray if there's, there's any like that, you may be speaking to them and assuring them that this is exactly why you came and you don't care where they've come from or what they've done, if they're ready to give their life to you, that you will come in and change them and they will experience Christmas in a way they've never experienced before, the birth of Jesus, the son in their lives. And so, God, we, we give this time to you, and we sing songs so many times about your kingdom, not understanding the epic story that's behind those simple words. And as we bring our offerings and we close our service in worship, God, we pray, we pray your kingdom would come. We pray your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray it starts with us as we worship you now as our great king. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas, right? Merry Christmas, the King has come. Hey, just uh, one, as we wrap up, uh, one uh, important announcement. Uh, this year we're gonna be doing something very different for our Christmas, uh, our Christmas services and we've never done before. Very excited about it. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of context. Uh, first of all, uh, let's talk about One Life, that, that we've been, as a church, all fall talking about uh, sharing Christ with others, uh, praying for people who are, uh, don't know Christ, building relationships, and, and then inviting them to come and see. And as a leadership team, as we've talked about this, we realized that the, the very number one best time to do that is Christmas weekend, of any weekend of the year, uh, more so than Easter, that that's the weekend when people are, are most likely to come. And so we want to take advantage of that Christmas weekend and just say, we, we want to create a service that really speaks to us as Christ followers, but it's one you can invite friends to, and it's be a great, uh, great service to, to take advantage of. 
Uh, the second thing is, is the way Christmas uh, falls this year is that Christmas Eve is on a uh, Monday. And so uh, what would happen with, typically is that we would have our normal Christmas service, you know, Saturday to Sunday. And so everyone hears about Christmas. And then you come back Monday, you hear about Christmas again. Um, and it kind of diffuses all of our resources from our staff to our, our volunteers, uh, kids ministry, all the different things. And so we really want to be able to kind of laser focus all of our, all of our abilities that we got in creating a great service for, not only for us, but for the people that we're bringing for our One Lives. And so uh, what we're going to do this year is we're going to do something that's a little different. We are not going to meet our, have our normal Christmas services like Saturday night, Sunday morning services that weekend. What we're going to do instead is we're going to create five services, all the same service, but five services uh, that's going to create a plenty of space to invite people. We're going to have two on uh, Sunday uh, afternoon and evening at 4 and 6 on, on the 23rd, and then 3 on the 24th on Christmas Eve at 2, 4, and 6. And we think we'll be able to accommodate the amount of people that, that we need to do. And so I uh, just want to give you a heads up on that. And so what will happen then is next weekend when you come, we were actually, we're actually going to have tickets for these services. Uh, they, they'll be free. There's not, no cost to them at all. But we just want to make sure that if you invite a whole family, whatever, one life, and they come, and you're already excited to go, and then you come, there's no room, that would be such a bummer. So it's just a way to, for, for us to be able to say, okay, well, here's, here's the amount of seats we have, and, and when those are gone, we'll know that that, that service is full. And so that the ticket will just save your seat until five minutes before, uh, before start time. At five minutes before, uh, door, you know, anyone can come in without a ticket. So you'll have to get here early. For, but it'll just give us a way of creating a great experience. We can invite people and have confidence to come with a seat. If we, if we get there in time, which for some of you will be a first. But uh, if they get there in time, uh, that, that there will be something for you. Okay. And so um, this week, I'm actually writing a ministry update letter. Uh, and, and so uh, if you're on an email list, you'll get that. If you're not, you can pick up what at the point next weekend. But they'll talk about all kinds of things. Well, the assignment, where we're at with our building uh, project, uh, Christmas services, uh, uh, life group sign-up starting, uh, uh, financial freedom. There's a, a course with uh, Financial Peace University. There's a lot of things coming. And so I'll be writing a letter this week uh, to bring you up to speed. But I wanted to give you kind of a, a heads up on Christmas weekend so you could begin to plan and know what's going to happen that weekend. Okay. So until then, until I see you next week, may the Lord be with you and may he be your true king. Uh, and, and may you follow him well. And, and as you do, may you experience the life, the peace, the joy, the forgiveness, the power uh, that comes only from the king and, and only from the king who's come as a baby uh, to live, to die, to rise again, to live in us, that his kingdom may come and his will may be done starting with us. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.